May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. And Lord, uh, to quote, um, quote C.S. Lewis, you hear prayer backwards, and so we pray your blessing upon this meal that most of us have already partaken of. Thank you that that counted. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so my topic today is the church as the temple of God. The church as the temple of God. And I'm so glad that Andrew just, I think, just touched by the Holy Spirit, gave this topic to me. It's just the one I want, it turns out, because um, it's dear to my heart. It's not that I'm overly pious, but I am a revival junkie. And that is to say that I live for spiritual experience with God. I want as much of the presence of God in my life as possible. I want the reality of God in my life as much as possible. And I went um, some years ago to Toronto for a conference, and there it was for pastors who were a bit burned out. And that was the case for me. Tired out, I told the Lord, you know, it says there that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, I just don't. Let me flat out say that. I just don't seem to have much going in that direction, Lord, in terms of, of feeling love for you. And, and the same goes for the people. I'm, it's just there's less of you, so there's, there's less to go out to, to the people of God. And this uh, teacher, his name was Colin Dye, from Kensington Temple in London, preached. And his topic was to inspire le the leaders, to inspire the leaders. And he said, well, there's only one thing that I'm going to go back to that I think inspires leaders, and that's the love of God. And so he talked about the love of God from Paul's letters, and then he moved to Jesus and the parable of the prodigal son. And by the time his talk was over and the music began, I had to get down on my knees. I was receiving something. And it happened through the words, of course, through the message that was preached. But it was more than the message. It was the Spirit of God. The two came together, and it was imparting something, a presence, into me of love. And I came back into the ministry and back into um, America from Toronto with um, James Taylor's song in my heart. How sweet it is to be loved by you. That was the way I was. Now, I know that's emotional, but it's more than emotion. It was a spiritual reality, a presence of God that touched me, that gave me a vitality. And if there's one thing that I could do that, I, that, that as a minister of God, it would be, I would love to pass that on. I would love to pass that on. It's so wonderful. It's the, it's the greatest pleasure I've ever experienced in my life. And so I just want you to know that up front so that, yes, we're going to be talking about lots of things, um, but that's what I want is the reality for me and for you of God's presence because God is real, and that's what that song was about. He is here. He does move upon our hearts. He does come to heal, to cleanse, and to give us a new life. 
And so we have to begin in the beginning, um, just as Jeff did last week too. And this, these are glow sticks, and they're from the uh, Dollar Tree, so I'm not sure that, that they're really great. Look, they look a little kind of weird to me, like there's parts of it that are lighting up and other parts that are not, but maybe it'll all kind of happen in, in due time, but this is the Trinity. <laughs> one and three, three and one. And I start there because you have to start with the view of God that wants this kind of blessing and wants this kind of fellowship. And I want to quote from um, John Claypool again, who just says it so well. Here's God in the beginning. Nothing else is made. But he says, this wonder of my existence is something too good to keep to myself. I want others to experience the ecstasy of aliveness and to share the essence of the joy that is at the very heart of my being. And so God creates us. And this is, these are what those little things are on your tables. He creates us in his likeness. But if you were going to go back to shortly after the beginning, we find out that there's a problem. That though it's God's intention to share his life with us, we fell into sin, and we cut ourselves off from his life, and it made us incompatible. Where he's glowing, we're just dead. We're, we're existing. We're not really alive. We've lost the fire. We've lost the light and the life of God in us. But it, it's God's destiny, it's our destiny, it's God's intention that we should share his life again. And that's what it's all about. We have the problem, and I was quoting this to my brethren the other day from Romans, because it's good to remember that this is real stuff. Where in, Paul says in Romans, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It can't do it. Those controlled by their sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by your sinful nature, but by your, the Spirit of God, if the Spirit lives in you. So we are spiritually dead in our natural state until God does something about that. And he did. So way back in Ezekiel, he prophesied of what his plan was. In Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your impurities. From all your idols, I will cleanse you, and a new heart I will give to you. A new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and move you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my laws. So God's plan was, I'm going to get inside of you to make you new and to, to direct you toward what I want you to do if you're going to, and to do my will. And what I want to say, an underscore, is that this is a supernatural event. This is not turning over a new leaf and saying, gee, I think uh, you know, I'll just start trying this out. This is a supernatural event. God recreates the person, us, 
from the inside out by coming to dwell in us. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be born from above. And uh, therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's a new creation. It's not just an improvement of the old. It's not a metaphor. It's a reality. And it's just as much, I'll give you a metaphor, it's like going from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. There's that kind of a transformation that happens. And for us, for some it's you know, very quick, and others it seems to take time. Uh, you grow up in a Christian home, and you just never know for sure when it happened, but that glow will begin to show itself. And it shows itself also in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, light, life. And, um, and you, you begin to see things God's way, which is a new worldview, a new way of seeing things. But um, to quote Paul in another place, this is a, a, a fantastic scripture, I love it. But we have this treasure, this treasure, this glow. We have it in, in, in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And Paul at one point said, the kingdom of God is not about a bunch of talk. It's about power, power for transformation, power for becoming the new people. And um, I see Langan um, bending her little goat stick. Grab one of these and just light it up. This is what happens to you. Just light it up. Go ahead. You see, what happens, the start of this whole thing about being the church and being the temple of God is that we become containers, containers of this life. We have this treasure. Yeah, just bend it there, Daryl. I know it's, it's a funny looking thing until it begins to homogenize. It looks sort of uh, maybe like your Christian life, sort of stop and go, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. The Christian life, though, is, is characterized by dependence upon God. We never lose that need to be fully dependent upon God. Yes, we are filled with his spirit, but then we have the, the power and the ability to move with God and to wait upon him and to move in dependence upon him. So now let's talk about the church as the temple of God, more specifically. And I'll read to you from the passage that I wanted to have as our sort of the basis, but I'm going to go all over in Scripture. So here's the basis from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's just as clear as can be. So in answer to the question, what is a temple? My first answer would be 
A temple is a building or it's a house where God is present. And we have a, a peculiar scripture in Isaiah 66 where God says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? And it's really more of a rhetorical question. Since I, I, I'm over everything and, and all over the place, I mean, how are you going to build a house for me? Where's my resting place going to be? This is all mine anyway. But God has always desired to dwell with us. That's the wonderful thing. He's always desired to dwell with us. So in the beginning, we have, um, we have Moses who meets with God. And so he begins with this building, and he calls it the tent of meeting. And this is Exodus 33. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it, and outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So that's how, to, how it started. It was a tent. It was a building, but it was a tent. And then it got elaborated as God specified, I want you to build this tabernacle for me. The children of Israel are moving from the land of bondage to the promised land, and God is going with them, and he wants a, a, mo a mobile unit. He wants to move with them, and so he dwells in a tent. And then later on, David desires to build a temple for the Lord, but he is a man of blood, God said, too much of a warring man. And so he says, no, it's going to be your descendant, Solomon, who's going to build that temple. And so he does so. And in 2 Chronicles, let's see if I'm there, yes, 7-1, after the dedication of the temple, we have this happen. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because of the glory of the, of the Lord that filled it. Imagine that, you know, that the glory of the Lord at St. Philip's over here is so intense that we can't choir and we can't process down the aisle. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Um, but that's what happened. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was a visible presence, a manifest presence of, of God that happened. And that's what we want. That's what we want through all of our worship and all of our uh, what we come to church to is to have an encounter with God, to have some kind of an encounter. There was a little girl that came to a baptism and said, you know, I really am disappointed. And, I, and she was asked why. And she said, well, I, I didn't see God. Um, she had an expectation that God was going to be there. And yeah, God is always veiled, or usually veiled, but you come to have an encounter through the worship, through the, the liturgy, through the the, the Eucharist, through the music, with God himself, not just with the form that we present. So then, after that, so we have the, tabern the tent of meeting, we have the tabernacle, we have the temple. These are all form of buildings that God has dwelled in. But then you find Jesus, who himself says that he is the temple. You remember he was cleansing the temple, and they said, by what authority do you do this? And he goes, well... I'm going to destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. And then John makes the commentary, by this he was meaning 
his body, that he became the temple that was moving around. And it even uses that word in John chapter 1 where when he dwelt among us, that he tabernacled among us. He was the tabernacle. He was the house of God that moved among us. But it doesn't leave us there. It goes on to say that that gets transferred to us as well, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And he said that in the context of ethics or morals because people in Corinth were still kind of living the old life and joining themselves to prostitutes. And he said, that's not fitting for the people of God who are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't join yourself. You don't do that because not only does it defile you, but it ruins your glow. You ain't going to glow no more if you do that. You're going to put the fire out because Paul elsewhere will say you'll quench the Holy Spirit or you'll grieve him. You'll make him sad by the way you're living. So, and then it goes on, that's individually. Each of us is the temple. But then corporately as the church, Paul goes on in, in uh, 1 Corinthians and says, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and be their God, and they shall be my people. He's desired to dwell with us. So a temple is a building, and it moves from a tent to a, a hard stone edifice um, into Jesus and then into us, that we are the temple of God, that building. And then secondly, a temple is a place of worship and sacrifice. And in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. That our worship is actually to offer our bodies our, for ourselves to him to dwell in us, to live his life in and through us. And if you think about it, it's all over the scripture. I mean, you've got the Eucharist. You've got the Eucharist, which is the weekly reminder, every other weekly, a reminder for some, that, that um, we take Christ in us and we become carriers of this treasure. And then we go out into the world. And it harkens back to the Passover because it is Christ, our Passover, who has been sacrificed for us. But it harkens back to the Passover when the people of God who were leaving Egypt had to consume the whole lamb. And so God says, now, to make sure if you're not a big enough family that you get with others, because I want that whole lamb to be consumed so that the picture is clear and complete that when you leave in the morning, all of you are carrying as a family a piece of that lamb, and the lamb in his entirety is going out with you. You are housing that lamb with you as you go toward the promised land. So it's our worship to 
turn ourselves, our bodies over to him. Um, and we find that also in our communion liturgy. Cranmer had it right. That's a, I'm always tickled when I see that. Um, but he said, and here we offer and present unto the O Lord ourselves, our souls and bodies. And we say it all together, which is a peculiarity of the low country. Not done like that anywhere else in the world, but in these churches right here, um, at least in Charleston. But it's, it's so fitting that we should all say that. Somewhere along the line, the minister must have got the idea. You know, this is something we ought to do together. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable and holy and living sacrifice. Okay. And lastly, the temple is a holy place. It's consecrated to God. And so, yes, the people of God are truly the temple of God. The church is the people, and the people are the, the house, really. And when the people leave the house, the, the, the church, the St. Philip's over there, God goes with the people. But in a sense, in a sense, God is present in that sanctuary over there because it's been consecrated to him. It's been offered to him. It's been set apart for him. And it's been made holy as a result. And that's really what the word holy is all about. Um, hagios is that it is set apart for God for holy use. And um, that's how the people of God are referred to, by the way. We are called the hagioi, the holy ones. And we are made holy because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And because we are no longer ourselves for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. We are called to witness as the church to this new creation, to this, 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 this habitation of God that others can be invited into. So what? Okay, so what, so what, so what is what, is what I want to tackle next. I mean, it's nice to know that. I like knowing that I'm a carrier of God and that that came as I asked him to come and dwell in me. The presence of God is a precious thing. And remember, there's a wonderful passage in, in uh, chapter 33 of Exodus where uh, Moses and God are wrestling. And he says, you know, you've asked me to take these people along, but um, if you don't go with us, I ain't going. I've had it. <laughs> and the Lord says, I'll go with you. And he goes, well, look, if you don't go with us, I mean, it's the fact that you're going with us that makes us distinct from every other person, every other people on the face of the earth. That's, it's that you're going with us. Then, then you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And he goes, no, I, I will. I'm going to go along with you, and my presence will give you, and I will give you rest. And so that presence is, is a very precious thing. It's the main ingredient of being the church is the presence of God with us makes us distinct. And we don't want to quench that. We don't want to ignore it. We don't want to downplay it because we will sink into a, a formalism without the reality. And it will be like Samson in the Old Testament who could do mighty things until he sinned and compromised his his life, his life with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit was removed, and he had no power. But then the good news is that he repented and came back and then had the strength again, 
That's how it works. We are simply earthen vessels. It's the power of God moving in us that makes us distinct. And Paul says that we are to fan this into flame. We are to keep this alive. And how do we do that? Well, we do it through regular worship. That's what's important about regular worship. Not only to be together as the community of God, but to renew this life and to, to uh, partake of the Eucharist, which there not only symbolizes or not only represents, but it, it, it makes us participants in the reality because we take this tangible uh, sign of God's presence into us and out with us into the world. Um, so regular worship. But then also Paul goes on in that passage where he talks about being the temple. He says, let us purify ourselves from everything that, that contaminates body and spirit. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And so Lent is a good time for house cleaning. If you think in terms of your body, yourself, as a house, a temple for God, then house cleaning is a good idea because Paul says, purify yourself from anything that contaminates you. And uh, it reminds me of a little book that's been with me for decades, My Heart, Christ's Home. Right, Ben? And you, you all did this before at St. Philip's a long time ago. But it's a little story about um, a man who talks about receiving Christ into his life, into his heart, and describes it as a house in which he welcomes and is hospitable toward the Lord who comes in to live in his house. And Jesus goes through the house looking at all the features of the house. So he goes into the first room, which is the library, and he notices what sort, which represents the mind, and he says, hmm, you got some interesting books there on yourself. And the guy goes, oh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's just a reminder that the mind is a gateway for thing, all kinds of things. And Paul tells us in Philippians to consider the good things, you know, keep those in mind. And that Paul also talks us about, about renewing the mind. So that there's a, you know, the house on the outside remains perhaps the same, doesn't look any different, but there's a complete remake going on inside as Christ comes in and goes from room to room. So he goes from the library into the dining room and he goes, ha ha, I see the room of your appetites and desires. And you go, hmm, yeah, right. And so getting those in conformity with Christ's will. And then he goes into the living room. And here what his point is, is that the living room is a place where I'd like to meet with you daily. And you think that this is just something that you might wanna do, but what the Lord says to him is, it's really important for me to meet with you every day because I really like you and I want to be with you. So he says, um, um, Jesus is speaking, he says, the trouble with you is this, you've been thinking of the quiet time of the Bible study and prayer time as a factor in your own spiritual progress, but you've forgotten that this hour of spending time with me means something to me also. Remember I love you and I've redeemed you at great cost and I desire your fellowship. So don't neglect that time with me. But when I think of the living room, I don't think of just that one hour. I think of uh, Brother Lawrence, who talks about practicing the presence of Christ. You don't just leave church and say, okay, that was it for this week. 
Christ is a part of your life each and every day. He's in the living room. He's in all the activities. And you can invoke his presence and say, Lord, you know, be with me as I, I know you are, but I'm just remembering that you are with me in this and that and all different parts of my life. And one of the big factors is the next room, which is the workshop. What do you do for work? What do you do for a living? And um, Jesus quizzes him and says, would you like to do better? And he said, um, certainly. All right, let me have your hands. Now, relax in me and let my spirit work through you. I know that you are unskilled and clumsy, clumsy and awkward, but the spirit is the master worker and he controls your hands and your heart and he will work through you. So no matter what your work is in the church or outside the church, it's something that Christ wants to be involved in and he wants you to just lean back into him. He's there behind you and he works through your shape because your shape is different from my shape. But the shape is the shape that he extrudes himself out into our lives through our work. And then lastly, which is the most intriguing one, he says this about a hall closet. He says there's a peculiar odor in this house. There's a peculiar odor in this house. There's something dead around here. It's upstairs. And I think it's in the hall closet. And as soon as he said those words, I knew that he was talking about what he was talking about. Yes, there's a small hall closet up there on the landing, just a few feet square. And in that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anybody to know about and certainly did not want Christ to see. And um, he, he explains that, but really the hall closet represents um, a place inside of every one of us. Though we are redeemed, there are places, there are wounds, there are fears, there are things that we don't want anybody else to know about that we keep closed up because it's too painful to go there. And Christ wants to go into those places to cleanse and heal and minister his grace. And, um, and so sometimes there's a bitterness that harms us, that harms our spiritual life. It smells, it's dead, uh, and it's a skeleton in the closet. And Christ wants to go in there and cleanse that as well. But he's looking for permission from us to do that. And it brings up um, something that, that uh, Frenchie Richards and I and others are working on, and that is to, to bring back a prayer ministry here at St. Philip's that involves making an appointment and spending time in prayer to deal with those closets and doing it in confidentiality. And it's not something you can just quickly do it takes time, and it takes a kind of a readiness and a process. And so that's something that's going to be coming at St. Philip's to deal with those closets. And then eventually we transfer the title of the whole house over to Christ, and we make it his home. And so Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 